Thank you for joining us on Theology Refresh. This is Desiring God's podcast for pastors and other church leaders, and we are privileged to have Sam Storms with us today. Sam, thank you for joining us. David, it's good to be here. Our topic is eschatology, and that's probably too much to bite off in our little short 10, 12, 15-minute podcast here, but we thought we'd just admit to that, that it's too much, and we'd try to hit some of the, the broad we get some broad brushstrokes on eschatology with Sam, who is, uh, is very studied and versed and helpful on eschatology. So, Sam, just at the basic level, uh, what would you remind pastors and other leaders about when we, we mention that term eschatology? Even what does the term mean? Orient us in a, in a general way. Well, the term is something of a technical term a lot of people aren't familiar with. It just simply means the study of the end times or the final things. Uh, how God's purposes in redemptive history will ultimately play out. Um, eschatology can generally be divided into two categories. We talk about individual eschatology, which is focused more on what happens to the individual believer in terms of physical death, the intermediate state, which is uh, the experience of those who have died in faith in Christ, uh, who are now present with the Lord in between their death and the bodily resurrection. Individual eschatology also involves the resurrection uh, as well and uh, the judgment of each individual believer. Um, Eschatology more broadly conceived, the way most people think of it, has to do with events surrounding, either leading up to or immediately following the second coming of Jesus at the end of history. And of course, as you know, there is a wide spectrum of beliefs on that that really, to a large extent, govern how people live and what their expectations are. So it does have immediate pressing practical implications in terms of what you think God is going to do. Um, Describe for us some of the the sequencing there and what is your own view as well as some other uh, popular views. Well, I suppose we would have to begin with what is the dominant view, at least in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were recording this for an audience in the UK or somewhere in Europe, uh, it wouldn't uh, be put this way. But certainly in North America, the dominant view uh, has, is that of dispensational, pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism. And everybody sometimes freaks out when they hear all these technical terms. But what that simply uh, refers to is this notion that the next event in uh, God's eschatological calendar is the rapture of the church, that that Christ is going to descend in the clouds. He's going to translate all living believers into his presence. Uh, But he does not come to earth. He remains in heaven. And this inaugurates what has been called uh, the seven-year great tribulation, during which time the Antichrist will emerge Uh, There will be uh, massive events focused on the nation of Israel in the middle of the east. At the end of that seven-year period, Christ will return yet again. And that's technically speaking the second coming. And he will descend all the way to the earth at the Battle of Armageddon, defeat his enemies, and inaugurate what is known as the 1,000-year or millennial kingdom. Um, Now, that is the most popular view. A a lot of debate centers around the question of the timing of the rapture in relationship to this so-called great tribulation. Some people believe it happens before. Some people believe it happens in the midpoint or before the wrath of God is poured out. Um, Many believe that it happens after the tribulation. Now, my own personal convictions are that... um, that what is, this, what is typically called the Great Tribulation has actually already come and gone. Uh, as I read Matthew 24, 
uh, in Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse, I see Jesus referring to the events that were associated with and culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. And I think that's what he's referring to when he refers to the Great Tribulation. Now, having said that, well, by the way, since that being the case, the question then of um, whether or not the the rapture or translation of the church happens before, in the middle of, or after almost becomes a moot point. Uh, I believe that the second coming of Christ is a unitary single event, that when Jesus returns, he will, in fact, rapture the church. I believe in a rapture. I believe in a translation, a bodily resurrection of all living believers uh, at the time of Christ's second coming, uh, which will have been preceded by the resurrection of those who have been with Christ in the intermediate state. They will receive their glorified resurrected bodies first, 1 Thessalonians 4, then we who remain alive will be caught up to meet the Lord. But then Christ at that time continues his descent to earth. Um, he destroys all of his enemies. And I believe at that time inaugurates what we call the eternal state or the new heavens and the new earth. So my understanding, people think that those who embrace my perspective don't believe in a rapture. Well, I most certainly do. I just believe it is a part of the singular return of Christ at the end of history. Uh, And I should say also in conjunction with that, I do believe there will be great tribulation preceding the return of Christ. I think that there will be an increased global persecution of the church. Uh, just prior to the coming of the Lord. Uh, Now, even having said that, I I do want to make this point, and I try to do this anytime people ask me about it. To speak from a North American Western orientation of this coming Great Tribulation can be highly offensive to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are already in the midst of the most horrific tribulation imaginable the persecution that they are suffering, imprisonment, torture, uh, loss of home, loss of family, many times loss of life. Uh, It's hard to envision that any tribulation could be worse than what millions of Christian men and women are enduring presently. So it it feels a a little bit um, misguided from my point of view for those of us in the West to be debating whether or not we'll go through great tribulation when so many in the Christian church are already experiencing this in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. But I do believe, having said that, that there will be increased tribulation and persecution as we approach the end of time. But I also believe that the church itself will flourish and grow. I think that there will be, in the midst of that persecution, a great outpouring of the Spirit of God and an ingathering of the elect into the body of Christ. So what I am looking forward to, what I think, uh, as I tell people in my church and others, what we ought to expect is that there will be an increased uh, oppression of the body of Christ globally. There will be, um, at the same time, I think, increased uh, special grace poured out upon the people of God. Uh, I live in anticipation of an ingathering of souls uh, that will be unprecedented in human history. But uh, I think the return of Christ will be a singular event, and I do believe at that time it inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth. And so in saying that the entirety of the church age is a time of tribulation as well as advance for the gospel, there are similarities between your position, the amillennial position, Mm -hmm. and 
other positions like the a post-tribulation rapture, second coming, yes. a historic premillennial position, yes. as well as post-millennial in some regards. Could you just briefly lay out the, the broad contours of those positions? So the primary distinction between the post-millennial view and the view that I embrace is that they do anticipate through the power of the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that the influence of the church will spread globally into the political realm, into culture broadly conceived, that there will be a gradual progressive transformation of the expression of life uh, on a global scale, and this will be concomitant with the the gradual ingathering of the vast majority of souls into the body of Christ. Um, I, I must say, I hope they're right. Mm. I think that would be wonderful. Mm. I'm just not at this point convinced that the Bible teaches that we have an expectation of this kind of Christianizing of the world just prior to the second coming. So they, some of them might call me a pessimistic post-millennialist, and I might call them optimistic amillennialist. Um, but I tend to agree more with my premillennial brethren that we are going to see an increasing deterioration of conditions culturally, politically, societally that will involve a great uh, oppression and persecution of the church uh, prior to the coming of Christ. So we start talking eschatology, that's a big word, and then we use a host of other big words, millennial, this and that, sure. and rapture. Uh, as we close here, bring it down to why this matters, why this is important for pastors, uh, not only for them personally, but also to be eschatologically minded in their ministries, even without using the big terms. Well, I think it matters immensely from several points of view. First of all, it is important that we have our minds biblically shaped and fashioned in accordance with what we think God is going to do in the days to come. Now, having said that, we, we, let's confess up front. People live today thinking that we are perhaps months, years within the end of human history, the second coming of Christ. Um, it may well be that we are millennia away from the second coming of Christ. We have no way of knowing. I have no way of knowing. People ask me all the time, I don't know. Um, so my, the way I live, the way I would hope that people in the body of Christ would live is with the expectation of the uh, imminency of standing in the presence of their risen Lord and Savior. It is the prospect of seeing Jesus and beholding His glory and His beauty that ought to exert the greatest influence on the human heart. It shouldn't be the prospect of, oh, I hope I can escape tribulation, or I hope I'm not alive, or that Jesus returns and gets me out of here before things get too bad, or uh, having their focus primarily built around, and this is, again, is a very controversial issue, around the destiny of the, of the nation of Israel in the Middle East and the events associated with it, such as will Iran... Uh, seek to wipe out Israel? Will Israel launch a preemptive strike? Now, those are important political issues that affect us, but that shouldn't be, in my opinion, the focus of the Christian's uh, faith and thought. It should rather be that we are living in the conscious expectation that we are could at any moment stand in the presence of our living Lord. And when you think of what John said in 1 John 3, 
that the person who has that hope fixed on him of seeing him as he is purifies himself. There is a, there is a sanctifying influence of that expectation, knowing that I'm going to stand in the presence of Jesus, that my life is, is going to be exposed before him, that I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that I'm going to behold the face of my Lord. If that doesn't exert a sanctifying influence on the kind of decisions I make now, how I prioritize my life, how I spend my money and my time. I don't think anything in the, you know, the broader political realm, globally speaking, will. So I think the primary practicality of thinking about eschatology is on what have you set your sights? Have you set your sights on the affairs of nations? Have you set your sights on escaping persecution and tribulation? Have you set your sights on trying to identify who Antichrist might be? Or have you set your sights on beholding the the face of the Lord Jesus himself and what that means, not only for now, but also for eternity? Amen. Thank you very much, Sam. Would you close us in prayer for those leaders listening to us? Absolutely. Father, we do ask that you would direct our thoughts, our passions, our focus, our expectations to the beholding of your Son and our Savior. And Lord, we do pray that 1 John 3, 1-3 would um, resonate within our hearts and uh, grip us in a life-changing way that those who have their hope and their sights fixed on Him, on beholding Jesus as He is, are themselves purified and transformed. Lord, we long to stand in the presence of of our Savior. We long to see His face. We long to see His purposes in the earth brought to their proper consummation so that He, in fact, will be confessed as Lord of lords and King of kings. So grip our hearts with this expectation. Lord, let us fix our sights on what is of greatest and most lasting and eternal importance, and that is being in the presence of and beholding the beauty of Jesus. And this we ask in His name. Amen.